0: Morning. I'm Terry Schmezing, pronouns she and her. I'm so happy to see all of you here in the sanctuary and on Zoom. Shout out to Zoom. It is a beautiful morning and I'm honored to be speaking today. I'd like to thank the Cat House Band for being here and bringing the energy and the joy. Um, You are literally one of my favorite things about this community and I mean that. I grew up in the 70s and I always wanted to like be in the Partridge family band and like you guys just made that happen. Pretty cool. So let's just start by taking a moment to breathe. Let's just practice slowing down for just a moment and appreciate that we're here. In the words of Matthew Fox, what a gift it is just to be alive to be well, to be together on this planet. I'm very grateful for your presence and energy today. We'll discuss a few Buddhist concepts such as awareness, gratitude, and taking refuge in our breath. Most of these are familiar concepts and I've spoken about them before. I'll start by telling you a little bit about me and my family. I have a saying up in my kitchen that reads, if you met my family, you would understand. My parents are from small towns in South Dakota. My maternal grandparents are Ida and George Langenfeld. Grandpa was from a wealthy Minnesota family that owned Langenfeld ice cream many, many decades ago. Grandma Ida had grown up in a poor but happy home in Castlewood, South Dakota, a town of about 600. They married and had eight kids. I think there were a couple of miscarriages and or stillbirths, but I can't be sure. They owned and operated a cafe on Main Street in Castlewood. I didn't know grandpa because he died from a brain aneurysm in 1972. Grandma Ida lived to be 89 and she ran the cafe until she could no longer continue. She loved the cafe, her family, and the townspeople. She worked hard every day and often fed people who couldn't afford to pay. She believed in hard work, doing the right thing, and taking care of people. She was the town mayor for many years and was passionate about serving on the school board. George and Ida had eight kids. I have my doubts that either of them wanted eight kids, but I imagine that birth control options were limited and they were Catholic anyway. But from everything I'm told, the four boys and four girls were raised in a happy, bustling home. They were poor, but there was always food. My mom, Beverly, was the second oldest. She has told me stories of how much fun they had growing up and her perception that townspeople were jealous about how much fun and laughter they had in their house. They didn't have nice things or financial security, but they had fun. After high school, mom moved from Castlewood to Aberdeen to attend beauty school, where she learned to be a hairdresser. She got an apartment with other young women and eventually met and married my dad. They married in 1967. My sister Tracy was born in 68 and I came along in 72. My mom was the carefree fun one, my dad more serious and responsible. He recently told me their engagement story. They had dated for months, maybe even a year or more. And at one point, my mom was going to visit Grandma Ida in Castlewood, and she asked him if she could tell Grandma that they were getting married. And he said, oh, okay. So I guess they had to follow through on it. So my dad grew up on a small farm, and he was the first in his family to go to college. He made his career in the government as a bank examiner, and we moved to the Washington DC area when I was 10 for his job. He and my mom worked very hard and saved enough for retirement. As my sister and I grew up, my parents took us to South Dakota most summers. We spent enough time there that I got to be close with my aunt's uncles and hordes of cousins. In a large family, there's always a celebration of some kind happening, birthdays and weddings. So when we went back, we were always embraced with open arms had lots of picnics, played cards and laughed until it hurt. There were a lot of hunting and fishing stories told with the old adage being true that the fish would get bigger and bigger every time. They were always the same stories with the same details, like slightly changed and somehow they got funnier over time. And when we were in South Dakota, I was always embarrassed because my mom always wanted attention. So she grew up in this large family and she was so loud. She would literally walk into a room where people were all talking to one another very politely and she would just start talking louder over top of them. She thought her jokes and sarcasm were so funny and as a teenager, I was just mortified. I just wanted to crawl in a hole. But when the visit was over, we'd fly back to DC and get back to our regular lives and we didn't have to deal with all the drama and the judgment and the pettiness that naturally happens in families. So it was quite lovely. So my mom was one of eight, my dad one of three. So including their spouses, I have 16 aunts and uncles. So they and my parents are sort of like stoic, German, Midwestern people of a certain generation. So not so much with the hugging, not so much with I love you, but very dependable and responsible. And if you're part of the family, even if you don't fit in very well, they'll give you the shirts off their back. So I grew up with this very solid, if unemotional support system. They've always been there to be a buffer against the real world. But time catches up with all of us. Recall the story of Siddhartha by Herman Hess. It was published in the US in 1951 and became influential in the 60s. Siddhartha begins life as a prince in Nepal, living a protected and extravagant life behind castle walls. As a young man, he decides to leave the castle against his father's protests. So beyond his protected environment, he sees what life is like. He sees illness, aging, and death. Buddhism encourages us to face these realities, which are true for all of us living in the physical world. These conditions cause suffering. After my husband and I moved from DC to Oregon in 1995, my parents retired and settled in Boise. This way they could be closer to us, but stay out of the rain. They made their home there, found a Lutheran church, made a lot of friends, and volunteered with several organizations. They had season tickets to Boise State football and basketball games. When I traveled for work, mom would fly to Portland to stay with my young kids. She was always a good mom, but so much more fun as a grandma. She was on the floor with my kids at their eye level engaged in whatever they wanted to do, just smiling and laughing with them and thinking that everything naughty they did was super cute and funny. As my parents aged, dad kept suggesting to mom that they should move to a senior living community. She always said no, she didn't wanna live with old people. She was so fearful of aging and never wanted to look her age. But in her early 80s, she randomly said to me several times that she had had a good life and she was okay to die. She had done what she wanted to do and it was okay for her to go. It was odd to me because she wasn't even really sick when she said these things, but having studied Buddhism, I was happy to hear her acknowledging that this would eventually come true far, far in the future. She'd smoked since she was 16, which was pretty normal at that time, much less often when she was older, but the damage had been done over the years. So she developed COPD, so a respiratory condition, needed an inhaler and started an annual tradition of getting pneumonia every winter. In January of 2022, she came down with the annual pneumonia again and had a gastrointestinal infection. She was in the hospital several weeks, then into a care facility, breathing problems, then aspiration problems where food gets into the lungs because the throat muscles are too weak to properly swallow, back to the hospital to clear out the lungs, back to the care facility because she's getting stronger, more trouble breathing, back to the hospital where now the COVID test comes up positive. And then the call from the doctor that her organs just can't keep doing this. They'd had enough. We just need to let her go. Is that okay with you? Is it okay with me that you let my mom die? I know as I'm talking to the doctor that this is the right thing to do, and of course I knew it was coming, but I just want them to fix it. What do we have to do to fix it? Put her back, put her back to the way she was. I wanna be angry that she was in someone else's care and they let her contract COVID. But of course, this was a long time coming and we can't keep her here. So after the anger passes, things are clearer. It was her time. We did everything we could and the doctors, nurses and staff are literal angels on this planet. This is the natural order, people die. She told me herself, she had a beautiful life and she was okay to go. But for me and my kids, nothing is the same, because she was our life support. There will just always be a missing piece. My dad's 85. And he was very loving and caring with my mom during her final years and months. He was afraid for her to die. But he's doing okay on his own. His body is sore. He just hurts and mobility is difficult. He's ready to move to an assisted living facility and we'll work on that this summer. It is part of my journey now to take him through the last years of his life and his death. It will be really hard and it will be my honor. We will dismantle their home where my kids spent a lot of time and felt very safe. Of my 16 aunts and uncles, Seven of them have passed away. So just about half this whole generation of my family is disappearing before my eyes This is the suffering due to sickness aging and death that Siddhartha foretold And of course none of us are guaranteed to be here for 80 years. I Was at Cannon Beach with a friend just a week ago on Friday We had dinner around 5 p.m. and watched a terrible tragedy Rescue vehicles, a jet ski, and a helicopter circled the coast because someone had disappeared in the water. People had come to the beach that gorgeous day to enjoy life and play with their jubilant dogs. We didn't know who they were looking for, but we could tell it wasn't going well. We learned later that four 18-year-old males were wading in the ocean up to their knees when the water overpowered them. One of them did not make it out, a senior from Mountain View High School. He was to attend OSU in the fall. So each of us in this room has or is now suffering. We experience the death of beloved parents, spouses, family members, and friends. We experience never having had loving parents to start with, childlessness, the loss of a child, and children growing up and moving away. As parents, we may be frustrated by kids who didn't live live up to our expectations, maybe we have to deal with the loss of the parent we wanted to be but didn't quite get right. We regret the time we didn't spend the experiences we didn't share the times we yelled when we should have hugged. There are children who've been abused and mistreated by parents and other adults, they mourn the ability to trust people and feel safe. There are adults who've been abused, victimized, belittled, and betrayed. They mourn the loss of trusting people and feeling safe. There are people suffering heartbreaking and seriously debilitating health crises. They mourn the loss of healthy bodies and minds. We don't generally share these stories, even with our very good friends. We might be afraid people will judge us for being weak. We might be afraid to embrace our own brokenness. What if we open the floodgates, let ourselves feel something, and maybe even cry and we can't get the gates closed again? One of the most helpful things I've ever heard on a meditation retreat is, when you're tired, be tired. And when you're sad, be sad. So simple, so obvious, and rarely done. Suffering impacts us even when we fail to acknowledge it. Denying it causes us to lash out at others. It stifles our ability to be joyful. What Buddhism teaches is that it is out of brokenness that we touch our vulnerability and empathy. When we can have compassion for ourselves, we can offer it to others. The great Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has several mantras he encourages us to practice. One of them is, I suffer, please help. We acknowledge our suffering. We can ask for help and accept it when it's offered. I suffer, please help. Another is, I know you suffer, and I am here for you. I know you suffer, I am here for you. We can ease our own suffering by being there for others. It's interesting that when we know and acknowledge that we will suffer, it's easier to understand and withstand. Believing we will never encounter suffering is naive and very jarring. Who among us believes we will have a success only journey? Understanding the reality of our humanness and the reality of our physical embodiment is helpful in dealing with the inevitable problems. There are no warranties on these physical bodies in whole or in part. We are not guaranteed perfect eyesight, hearing, mobility, neural functioning, or any other physical attribute. I know you suffer, I am here for you. I suffer, please help. When my children were younger, I regularly took them to the annual family retreat at Deer Park Monastery in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And one year we had an intergenerational Q&A session with several monastics. We started with questions from the kids, such as, why do you shave your hair so short? How many monks and nuns are there? And how old is the monastery? And then we went to the teens whose questions were, what should you do when people say hurtful things about you online? And how do you cope with pain when people spread rumors about you? One of the monks said this, imagine that you have a bone and you wave it in front of a dog. The dog watches the bone intently, you throw it and the dog runs for it. Now, if you wave the bone in front of a lion, the lion does not react. The lion is aware that you have the bone. But what does he need with that one bone when you are a sack of bones? He does not react to your sudden movements. He contemplates the whole situation and moves very slowly with strength and self-confidence. So the teens had asked, what should you do when people hurt you? Now, many of you might suspect I don't really like stories about cats being smarter than dogs, but this one kind of (laughs) works. So we should be like the lion, see things as they are, not reacting to every word or movement that another person makes. Move with strength and confidence. And then the final group of questions from the adults. All about how to cope with suffering. One mother asked, how do we live with all the suffering we are creating? And the same monastic who talked about the lion said this, picture yourself as a mother or father of two children. You hold the hand of one child in your left hand and the hand of the other in your right. One is suffering and one is joy. And you must walk together with both. Sometimes suffering pulls you forward and demands all your attention. Other times joy demands your attention, and you must attend to both. We do a good job of acknowledging this very important thing in our worship services every week, as we share joys and concerns. In the Lutheran Church, we were part of the services by reciting the Apostles and Nicene Creed's, singing, This is the Feast of Victory for Our God, and other catchy hymns. But we were never invited to share the joys and struggles of daily, human, earthly life during worship. So some people come up and share more often than others. And that's okay. It gives all of us the language and the permission to share these experiences with one another, even outside of worship. Several years ago, I was told by my manager at work that I was perceived as reserved and guarded. Ouch. After my initial denial and defensiveness, I thought I should consider if I was approaching my life too seriously. So there's a good example of this when I was finishing my undergrad degree in accounting and toward the end of the program I needed one last credit in a general business class. So like I was almost done. And so this would have been around like 1997 or what my teenagers refer to as the 1900s. back in the 1900s we didn't register for classes with our phone APP at home in our jammies we filled out bubbles on scantron forms and we went to campus on a certain day and we stood in really long lines. And so the course catalog was a really thick book of newsprint pages and course names were abbreviated so they could fit the hundreds of classes times and locations, so I signed up for a one credit class that I thought was titled improving business communication. And the first night of class, I quickly realized my mistake, and I will never, ever, ever forget this. The instructor, Gary Hirsch, explained that his day job was to facilitate corporate workshops using improv and theater games to help employees rediscover their creativity. So the class was actually improv and business communication. (laughs) I have never been more frightened. And imagine that I would rather have been in an advanced taxation class than to play theater games and think on my feet. Mr. Hirsch had us journal about when we had forgotten how to play. And I was in my early 20s, and I couldn't even think of the last time I had played. so when I started studying Buddhism, it came up again. Buddhism literally encourages us to be joyful. I had never heard of this being taught as part of a spiritual practice before. So the third mantra from Thich Nhat Hanh, which he added many years after the first two is, this is a happy moment. So we get to be as joyful as we want to be. If we are waiting for it to happen to us or for others to allow it, we are in trouble. We need to create joyful moments for ourselves by planning time to do something we enjoy, planning time to be with friends, Spending time outside and being grateful for the simple things in our lives that we forget to notice. The fact that we are alive, that we are safe and warm, that we have food, electricity, hot water. After my mom died last year, I went to South Dakota for the first time in five years. I hadn't been there in so long, mainly due to COVID, but also because my kids were in high school and it was very busy time. We had a family wedding, so of course there was a big party and dancing and laughing and telling the old stories again. I found myself talking about my mom a lot and promising my cousins that I will make an effort to be part of the family. To be there for them and make sure that my kids know them and their kids. I later wrote to several of my aunts and told them how proud I am of them for the amazing women, mothers and aunts that they are. Some of my cousins don't say these things out loud to them now because they don't know about the missing piece yet. And that's okay. I also asked my aunts to think of something on their bucket list so that we can do it together. I don't really know what I've been waiting for. My cousins talked about my mom. Where I had been embarrassed of her being so loud and obnoxious, they saw it as her bringing so much joy and vivacity to the cafe. They say that she even made doing the dishes fun. And I was too self-involved to see it at the time. In addition to being the literal life of the party, she never let other people's petty drama become her issue. I don't remember a time when she gossiped or complained about others. She just chose not to spend her time on those things. And we can make similar choices. What are we spending our time on and how are we creating joy? Are we creating the world we want to live in where everyone is able to live more joyfully with true freedom and liberation, if we are working to suppress joyfulness and freedom for others, we have really, really lost our way. Many people have decided this is something they want to spend their time and energy on suppressing others will never lead to more joyfulness for ourselves. I have heard that the Rwandan prescription for overcoming depression is sun, drum, dance and community. This quote is from a Rwandan talking to the Western writer Andrew Solomon about his experience with Western mental health and depression. We had a lot of trouble with Western mental health workers who came here immediately after the genocide. They came and their practice did not involve being outside in the sun where you begin to feel better. There was no music or drumming to get your blood flowing again. There was no sense that everyone had taken the day off so that the entire community could come together to try to lift you up and bring you back to joy. There was no acknowledgement of depression as something invasive and external that could be cast out again. Instead, they would take people one at a time into these dingy little rooms and have them sit around for an hour and talk about bad things that happened to them. We had to ask them to leave. So the Rwandans remind us to sing and dance, go outside and be in community. Urban Dictionary has several definitions for family. It's kind of fun to look it up. One of them is the close relationships among a body of human beings through blood, usually annoying and invasive around the holidays. And another is a group of people who genuinely love, trust, care about, and look out for each other. We are a group of people who love, trust, care about, and look out for each other. We are a family, a community that we have created to share our spiritual journeys and our lives with. Living in community is rewarding and sometimes really difficult. Sometimes we're hard on each other. Our words can be harsh, especially when we're not face to face. Sometimes we let our suffering come through in unhealthy ways and unintentionally hurt others. We wound their spirits. And when this happens, it's good to slow down and just pause and breathe. Even pausing and breathing for one minute can calm down our physical bodies and put us in a frame of mind to deal with the situation that is not as we are perceiving it to be. It's not about avoiding conflict with others, but addressing it in a way that will be constructive and healing. This is our community. This is our suffering, joyful, messy human community. I am so proud of us for maintaining this community through a three-year pandemic when we could just as easily have gone our separate ways because we couldn't physically be together. We figured out how to do it anyway. Because we need each other. We need to share our suffering and be here for each other. We need to be together, singing today, experiencing the joy of being alive together on this day, on this planet. I know how much I have needed you during these last few years. And I am grateful to you for being my family. I am grateful even for the difficulties. I am grateful for you and your beautiful spirit. and now a Buddhist blessing as we leave here and return to the regularly scheduled programming of our lives. May we be joyful. May we be safe and protected from all harm and danger. May we be at ease in our bodies and in our minds. May we hold ourselves, our families, our communities, and our world in love. May we go into the world and let our lights shine. May this be so, amen.